1: i heard a statistic recently that 90 percent of the data in the world was actually created in the last two years so what did we think three years ago versus what do we think today in the moment facing a pandemic and and the fallout from that pandemic those are two very different things so if we had planned three years ago For a world that existed today that was like today we'd be fine but of course we didn't plan for that because we didn't know what was coming so an agency a customer of splunk has to be able to go back retroactively and look through the data they collected three years ago with today's eyes and that's what a data platform really enables a customer to do
0: welcome back to the government huddle podcast guys i'm your host brian chidester Digital transformation's lifeblood is data, and governments have lots of data representing a significant source of value for both the public and private sectors. If used effectively and keeping in mind ever-increasing requirements with regard to data protection and data privacy, data can simplify the delivery of public services, reduce fraud and human error, and create massive operational efficiencies. Despite these potential benefits, governments around the world remain largely unable to capture the opportunity. The key reason? is that data is typically dispersed across fragmented landscapes of systems, which are often managed in organizational silos. Data is routinely stored in formats that are hard to process or in places where digital access is impossible. The consequence is that data is not available where needed. Progress on digital government is inhibited and citizens have little transparency on what data the government stores about them or how it's used compound that with the fact that the COVID-19 crisis has really highlighted the importance of data, which has been at the heart of managing the impact of the pandemic in a lot of countries. And while the value of public sector data obviously extends beyond the pandemic, the challenge for many governments is accessibility. And one finding from a recent report from Splunk, the State of Data Innovation 2021, is that better linking of information can yield significant benefits. In today's show, we're going to walk through some of the findings of the report with Jeremy Reese, the Global Vice President of Public Sector at Splunk, and get his thoughts on some of the information that came out. As many of you may know, Splunk is more than just a cybersecurity company. Splunk software and cloud services enable organizations to search, monitor, analyze, and visualize machine-generated big data coming from websites, applications, servers, networks, sensors, and mobile devices. And governments around the world use Splunk to deepen business and citizen understanding, mitigate cyber risk, prevent fraud, improve service performance, and reduce costs. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Brian.
0: Before we jump into this report, which is fantastic, by the way, I appreciate you guys sending me a copy. I I love all the information in here. I'm really curious to know, before you you got the information back, did you have any expectations around what you think you might find uh, within data usage in public sector?
1: Great question. Um, we did the report uh, because we were hoping to validate uh, some things that we are seeing and that we thought we might see. So, I guess it did not surprise me that there is room and opportunity for innovation by using data, um, not only in the government market but in frankly all the markets that were surveyed as a part of this. So. Um, I was expecting that we would see that agencies are hungry to use data to innovate, um, and I was curious to learn the areas in which they were focused on driving that innovation.
0: So as I was looking through this, one of the things that really stuck out to me, uh, especially in the executive summary around public sector, is that 43% of public sector organizations agreed that public cloud had some of the best data innovation capabilities out there. Uh, in fact, it was the highest percentage of all the industries, but 52% of public sector said they thought their on-premise environment was more secure. And we all know security is an issue within government. That was a, that was a big surprise for me, especially in comparison to some of the other services, uh, like financial services and, and, uh, retail. Were there any other surprises that jumped out at you once those findings came back?
1: Um, I I do think that, um, the government's focus on digital transformation has accelerated, and, and it was interesting to see that our respondents were saying that they really believe themselves to be in sort of that what we defined as the data beginners uh, category and not the data leader category. I do think there are some areas where the government is leading, um, but I think it's encouraging that the government leaders are humble and they say, look, uh, we've just only started this journey and there's a lot further uh, we can go.
0: I had that exact same takeaway. I I really wasn't surprised with um, government classifying themselves as data beginners because you're absolutely right. I I think most organizations are data beginners, but at the same time, I also agree that there are really some impressive pockets within government that are doing some pretty innovative things. Uh, I'm curious to know, are there any of your government customers specifically that you found some just really innovative capabilities they've they've been doing, especially over the past 18 months. Um, It could be in support of the pandemic or not.
1: So there's been a lot written about some of the amazing things that have happened with vaccine rollout and um, monitoring folks' health. Um, Those are well-documented. We've had customers, uh, a particular state that used our technology to look at their full stack related to uh, the vaccine distribution and um, uh, injection process. Uh, We had a a federal agency that used our technology as a part of their telehealth rollout, and we saw just an amazing pivot, right, to delivering mission capabilities virtually uh, in the last 18 months. Um, I would point to, and and we point to in some of our public findings about the innovation report, um, the University of Illinois and the Census Bureau specifically. So we had a number of university customers that were using our technology to unlock the power of their data. University of Illinois has been so gracious to let us talk about it. Um, They not only expanded access to data, which improved things like classroom learning and student satisfaction, but also uh, tracked things like fatigue level of their athletes, Uh, health data related to not only the pandemic, but other aspects of student and faculty health uh, and really allowed themselves to not get back to normal, but get back to the closest thing they could uh, deliver as normal in the last 18 months. Um, The Census Bureau used us as a part of what they did to um, actually deliver the census last year, right? So it was the country's first digital uh, decennial census. And they had to do it without really being able to interact with citizens, which required ensuring integrity and availability and security of the backend systems and the mobile systems that they use for the data collection. Uh, so those are two examples that I would point to of incredibly innovative government customers that did things we wouldn't have expected two years ago.
0: You really piqued my interest with that University of Illinois use case. I'm a, a former college athlete. And one of the things you mentioned, we're tracking athlete fatigue, um, which it, to me is really cool. But it also speaks to the the breadth of what a platform can do across an entire ecosystem, right? There's so many different use cases. But that use case in particular, I'm guessing, was there any type of like sensor or IoT uh, piece of that where you guys are kind of integrating into these pieces to kind of provide that that data feedback?
1: So, yes, I mean, there is a proliferation of of sensor data um, currently, right, with not only our phones, but also these devices like Fitbits uh, that, that collect and aggregate all kinds of interesting health data. And I think the key from Splunk's perspective is having a data platform underneath all of these sensors and collection agencies uh, that allows you to ask questions of the data and questions that you might not have thought of asking previously right? So uh, as an athlete, uh, maybe you're a baseball fan. I'm a huge baseball fan. And um, there are statistics that professional baseball teams use today that they didn't even think about 30 years ago, like uh, wins above replacement war, right? We used to track home runs and RBIs, but we didn't think about on base percentage uh, until the last 30 years. So I think it's um, incredibly powerful to be able to look at health um, through new lenses. I mean, we, we really didn't think that people would encounter a virus that stopped them from breathing. Uh, and in the early days of this virus, we didn't know if you know a fever was the key sign or a cough was the key sign or shortness of breath was the key sign. And so being able to look at all of these indicators of, of health or changes in health was incredibly powerful.
0: That's a really good way to, to put it because when you look at the, the war um, statistic, it's really the idea of taking a whole bunch of pieces of data and putting them into kind of an algorithm to figure out what you can expect output wise from a player. And and that's a, a good way to compare it to the health health side of things where you have all these kind of disparate data points and are able to bring them all together in a same, similar algorithm to hopefully track and gauge what somebody's health looks like. And when we take a look at, at research, one of the things that this – report yielded was that organizations with mature data practices and more innovative strategies open up a remarkable achievement gap versus the data innovation beginners. And one of the stats here on average, leading organizations have increased employee productivity by 16% in the past year, which is double the the beginner level innovators. Why do you think that is, Jeremy? Where do you think data is really driving a lot of this productivity?
1: Well, again, I, th- I think data allows us to ask questions, right? So those of us in in leadership roles like myself study things like inherent bias. And we know that human beings and our brains are inherently wired to act on instinct uh, and to act on experience. So um, having a, a data platform that allows us to say, hey you, we might have thought you know home runs were the thing or RBIs were the thing, but actually it turns out that if we have a shortstop who gets to more balls uh, than any other shortstop and thereby prevents uh runs scored by the other team more than any other shortstop, uh you know he's actually more valuable than the shortstop that hits five more home runs than every other shortstop um, that's incredibly powerful
0: no i th- I think that makes a lot of sense. It allows you to kind of point in into a different direction. When you take a look at these these leaders in this space, what are some of the characteristics of an organization that that is a, a data leader because I can imagine there are some underlying strategies and and leadership principles that you see um, from a pattern perspective with these organizations versus the ones that really aren't um, leveraging the data that they that they could at a full degree
1: sure so so there were three things that really jumped out as a part of this study that I would point to um Those are, they hire for innovation, the leaders, right? And they're making innovation a part of the job. And we're seeing that in the government with the elevation of the role of chief data officer, just just the appointment of chief data officers has started to happen in the last few years. But then moving those chief data officers into positions where they, they report to the CIO, they don't report up through layers underneath the CIO, has been incredibly powerful. Um, the second thing is uh, these leaders incent innovation. So, um, you know, the, the government wants to innovate. I, I don't think uh, creating incentives is, is really um, as, as comparable in government as it is in industry because government doesn't think about revenue or cost savings quite in the same way. But I think um, giving people the space to innovate within government is really is really the key there. And then they are quick adopters. I mean, the thing the pandemic showed us, again, with the rise of some of these remote capabilities was um, we're capable of pivoting really quickly and we're capable of totally rethinking how we deliver on mission objectives. Um, but if, if we more quickly adopted without a, a lever like a pandemic, uh, that, would, that would make us even better at innovating. And so I think some of these companies that we're seeing innovate are so-called digital natives, and they're looking at markets that are ripe for disruption and saying, "What if we did it totally differently?"
0: That's really what what came through in the in the study. Do you think government can keep up the pace that they saw during the pandemic? Obviously, as you said, it, it was incredibly accelerated, um, and the adoption of technology even internally was accelerated because there it was just a draconian measure; it, it had to be adopted. But do you think once this pandemic uh, accelerant is kind of removed, that government will continue this pace based on the success that they've had in, in pivoting and rolling some of these things out? Well, that's a, that's a fascinating question, Brian, because um, you know and I know that government
1: has time horizons that are really different from industry, right? And so I would say to generalize, the time scale for measuring operational improvements. Is weeks or months or years, and you know, core operational functions are shared across the government. Things like you know, HR, IT, security, um, as we saw in our study, and those have commonalities with industry and business. But the time scale for measuring mission outcomes is really different, and it's really diverse depending on the agency and the specific mission. Um, and in many cases, there aren't models from industry that really apply. So I I think what's cool about what's happened in the last 18 months is, again, the the pandemic made some of our government leaders challenge their fundamental beliefs uh, about how things could be done or why things were done the way they were. And I think we saw that first on the operational side, um, but we're going to see that move over into the mission side. And I'm really excited uh, about things like um, the Joint All Domain Command and Control Program, JADC2, uh, and some of these some of these mission oriented data, uh, you know, data platform opportunities. And I think we're going to see the lessons learned in the last 18
0: months applied in those kinds of areas. So you also touched on digital natives and being one of the reasons why a lot of this has accelerated. What role do you think? kind of a newer generation being in government has really allowed for the adoption of better data practices, more innovative strategies moving forward? Because I think we've seen this next generation workforce, as they've, as they've grown into leadership roles, um, really start to change things, e- even based on their results orientation. So how much do you think this next generation is really playing a part in leveraging data to the betterment of government?
1: Well, I, I think there's no doubt they are playing a large part. And I think it is, um, like you said, in, inherent in the fact that they're used to having more data available um, than, than some of their peers um, that's driving them to make use of that data. I mean, just back to our conversation about Fitbits and, you know, athletes that are training using information that wasn't available 30 years ago. I think if you grew up wearing a Fitbit every day and you grew up uh, letting your phone, you um, know your location, right? You're, you're predisposed to leverage that kind of information
0: in delivering your, your mission work or job work effectively. So you talked about kind of the operational side, uh, the benefits, and there's obviously, there's uh, citizen experience benefits as well, especially as we get into the, uh, the state and local side of things within government. But one of the interesting aspects of this is you took a look at where some of the data is coming from I, I've always taken a look at government and I think they're they're some of the largest obviously consumers creators uh, of data but they had traditionally really been custodians of it now they're trying to um, really mobilize this data and as the report is showing. Where are some of these data sources that that this information is coming from that they're making these decisions on? So, uh, I mean, just the, the the rise of mobility in the past
1: decade has been incredible. Um, and I, I heard a statistic uh, this summer from Paul Brubaker uh, of the VA that, you know, 90 percent of the data that exists was created in the last two years uh, because you know, we all have phones and those phones are actually more powerful than our laptops or even our our servers used to be. So I think um, those are incredible sources of data. And like you said, the the proliferation of sensors and IoT, uh, I mean, in my own house, my refrigerator can talk to my phone now. So that's incredibly powerful when our wind turbines are sending all sorts of um, signals about power that we're generating or, um, you know, every component of our airplanes are reporting back on whether they're functioning as designed or not. Um, that's really an incredible source of, of data um, and incredible opportunity for innovation.
0: One of the things that that I kind of circled here in the report when I took a look at data sources was collaboration patterns. Mm. It, can you expound there a little bit? Because obviously collaboration is is massive right now in every industry, especially um, in the hybrid Work Environment that they're in, what really goes into these collaboration patterns?
1: yeah, so I, I mean I think the the key is the collaboration itself, right so again, going back to um, the inherent bias, um, what we want to do is is eliminate bias or eliminate um, previous experience as a factor in thinking through how innovation can occur, and again uh, that's the the power of a data to everything platform is that you can query both structured data and unstructured data in the same way. And if you're not forcing yourself to store that data in a particular schema or in a particular format, um, you can go back in time and ask different questions than you asked at the moment when the data was collected. Right, and so uh, what we're seeing on some of these programs like say JADC2 is there's an incredible amount of opportunity in the collaboration. There is information coming from you know the sensors, the equipment, the ground troops, but there's also information that comes from one branch of the service that's useful to another branch of the service. And we've always known that, it's just that um, the way we collect data and the, the mechanics of comparing that data are so much more advanced than they ever have been, and that creates opportunity.
0: That's really interesting, and you touched on kind of the the different types of data, including structured and unstructured, and I, I think I saw a stat somewhere that close to eighty percent of the data that's being created right now is unstructured, which right. cre- was is a massive challenge when you're really trying to extract the insights out of that data. What are some of the ways that that Splunk is leveraging AI and ml to extract some of this information to allow their allow your customers to um, actionize it?
1: Well, again, I mean, inherently what we're doing is allowing you to ask questions and ask questions um, irrespective of data source. So that's really the power of our platform. Uh, They're they're the three sort of components, if you will, the data collection component, uh, the data analysis component, and then the the interface that allows you to ask those queries. Um, Where the AI and ML comes in is um, just getting faster, right? Parsing through these terabytes of data is not something that the human uh, is capable of doing. So we've got to employ these techniques to uh, look for the proverbial needle in a haystack.
0: Have you seen more adoption of, of these AI technologies within government? I would think, I mean, with the, like I said, with the amount of data that they have and some of the programs they're looking to do, I'm sure in pockets, there's been a lot more adoption than others. But what are you seeing from the adoption standpoint in government?
1: Absolutely. I, I think automation um, has been the, the promise of technology for the last 30 years. And we're just now getting to the point where um, that automation is incredibly exciting and incredibly rapid because of the adaptability that uh, AI and ML create. So, um, you know, we're seeing things like uh, under the recent executive order, um, the the Office of Management and Budget saying you've got to automate and you've got to automate in these ways in order to take advantage of the underlying capabilities. That, that's incredibly exciting because the more automation we create, uh, the more it frees up the mission stakeholders to focus on what's really important, not the, the noise, if you will. We, we all know that 80 percent of the data is not going to be useful in any particular uh, scenario or use case, but 20 percent of it's going to be incredibly useful. So one of the things we're doing at Splunk is, is helping our customers develop tiered data strategies um, and to run searches and query those data in, in different ways, depending on their value. And you can use AI and ML to even assess what that value is or what that
0: value might be. So I'm glad you brought up strategies because one of the parts of the report really gives some recommendations around strategies that organizations can deploy to become more data better data driven leaders like we had talked about earlier uh, and I'm curious to know because I, I want to walk through some of these what are some of the strategies that you see um, that can really help government leaders in data innovation and really drive measurable outcomes leveraging this data
1: well um, I, I think that you have to ask yourself what's a better way for this organization to succeed and you can't answer that without looking at the data and it's important to you know start by optimizing the entire data continuum from how you classify, consolidate, clean your data to how you tool up and train the right teams to draw insight from that information. Then you layer in automation, as we were just talking about, to make it faster, more reliable, more efficient. Um, The other thing the study really emphasized was that organizations of any kind, government included, need to approach their data with action. So having cutting-edge data management practices in place is a great starting point, but the value of data is in the action taken with it, right? So I think, again, the, the rise of the chief data officer is incredibly exciting because she's going to be the one that says, you know, these are the action plans that we have in our agency. Uh, and this is how we expect to execute once um, we have the data collected and cleansed and, and framed and um that we've we have the teams in place
0: i i like that you've you've brought up the chief data officer i mean twice today and and one of the recommendations is around as you just mentioned having those the right people and solutions in place and to me the people are really kind of what what this this can be about right you have to have those processes in place and the people in place to be able to really actionize on the data what are what are some of the things that organizations should be looking for from a from a, a staff perspective in your in your opinion? Obviously, you have the the chief data officer, but where does where does that go next if governments are really going to um, be intentional about how they're leveraging data and becoming more data driven?
1: Yeah, so so hiring roles uh, specific to innovation is incredibly powerful, right? And um, having data analysts, um, people who, as you referred to earlier, Brian, are sort of born living in the data and are used to um, a massive amount of collection is really powerful. And some of the agencies where we're seeing them build out teams of literally hundreds of people or thousands of people that are using their data platform um, they are innovating at a much uh, more rapid pace than the agencies that that simply have a, a
0: platform in place but don't have the people assigned to make use of it. Another recommendation you had in here was around measuring innovation, and I think that one's key because government empirically has really looked to deploy programs, but they're not great at kind of gauging success or even setting benchmarks at the beginning of what success is and then then figuring out if they've hit that and what changes need to be made. So when you take a look at at measuring success, how does that really help an organization prioritize? And, and why was this one of the recommendations you thought made the most sense to help or uh, governments become more data-driven?
1: Uh, well, uh, there's a saying in, in sales leadership that I'm sure you've heard before, inspect what you expect and, and I, I really think that that, that applies, right? H- having the discipline um, to take a look at the things that you think are really important
0: is critical. So and w- within government too, it's obviously a different kind of landscape than all the different, um, the different industries that you guys surveyed. And I- I'm curious to know, because one of the recommendations you made were to clear roadblocks to accelerate innovation. And I think that's absolutely spot on just in government. Those roadblocks become a little bit more bureaucratic from a policy perspective, from a budget perspective. So what do you see being some of the ways that organizations can clear these roadblocks to, to build a more innovative, uh, ecosystem? That's a great question, Brian. I I think that again,
1: in my experience in, in 20 years in this town, Government is innovating and government wants to innovate. I, I think sometimes people who don't uh, live inside the beltway think, oh, you know, people aren't are trying to do innovative things. Um, but we have processes um, in place, layers in place to, to protect us from doing anything um, untoward or protect us from doing things that might be against the interest of the majority of, you know, sort of constituents and, and citizens um, and so sometimes that appears from the outside as if it is an inhibitor to innovation. But I think there are always ways to do the things that an agency wants to do uh, and to achieve new mission success by working within the system. It's, it's actually a matter of asking the right question. Um, so again, I come back to what do we query and, and why do we have a data platform in place that allows us to query any data about any question that's, that's how we create innovation. So um, just as a concrete example, we've seen in the last five years, the rise of OTAs as an acquisition mechanism. We've seen mm-hmm. um, agile procurements and we've seen you know GSAs stand up even an agile BPA. Um, those were all done within the, the mechanism of government that has existed for many, many years. It was just looking at the way the things could be done slightly differently than the way they had been looked at before again to me the equivalent of wins wins above replacement rather
0: than you know home runs and RBIs i think it's a good example too of again going back to what we mentioned that next generation workforce who has been really living in this in, this type of digital world their entire lives and understanding that there are different ways to do it Um, Reevaluating what they're currently doing, being willing to take those steps to do it, which I think is really exciting for government, um, especially in the future. Uh, Absolutely.
1: And, And on my team, Brian, right, on my team at Splunk, I often encourage people to say, how can we do this? Not can we do this, right? If you've made up your mind that it's the right thing to do and you're on my team, I want us to do that thing. So, let's ask ourselves, how do we do it? not if we can do it? And I think we're seeing that same attitude in government you're
0: you're absolutely spot on. How do we get this done? Not can we get this done? Well, and I think too, people forget oftentimes you you mentioned the culture of innovation that that is within kind of the beltway in d c and you're right, the people that are outside of the beltway in other areas of the country, they might look at d c as as slow moving, not as innovative, but um, I think there's two things to think about. One, it's the the fact that they're using taxpayer dollars to do this. So they there has to be a little bit more risk aversion because they're literally using our money to be more innovative. But two, I think they forget there are so many innovative pockets and there, it's not for a lack of want. There are people in there that are innovating. They're just doing it in a way that that makes the most sense for this environment. So it's not something where we should look at government as being considerable laggards, especially during the pandemic. I think that, that shrunk um, pretty considerably, but, but I think there is a want, as you mentioned for innovation um, and the right people are now in place to ask those questions you mentioned and, or really approach it and saying, how can we do this? Not if we can do this. And I think that's, that's certainly important too.
1: Yeah. And I, and I said this earlier, but I, I just want to come back to it. I think what our study, what Splunk study showed was that our, government respondents are incredibly humble, right? So they don't classify themselves as, as data leaders. And, and I agree, there's opportunity for them. But there was, as I pointed out in the case of University of Illinois, in the case of the Census Bureau, in the case of this, this telehealth project that I referenced, an incredible amount of innovation that happened and a, and a phenomenal pivot that we saw in the
0: last 18 months for, for delivering mission outcomes before we wrap up because I, I do want to give you a chance to give some final takeaways and, and thoughts especially from the report that that you might want to leave people with but one of the things that i've i've noticed especially having conversations with with folks on this show is there's a, a considerable amount of people moving from the private sector even at executive levels into the public sector back out again and I, I've kind of characterized them as as deployments short-term deployments but To me, I think that has also catalyzed a lot of innovation, and I'm curious to know from your vantage point, your thoughts on on kind of what these little deployments have done to not only allow government to get a piece of what uh, the private sector is doing from an innovation perspective and allow them to shift focus, but at the same time, as people leave government and go back into the private sector – having such a better understanding of how the government operates and what their priorities are and, and really how to do business with the government. How do you see that really impacting the innovation we've seen over the past three to five years as well?
1: I appreciate you saying that, Brian. I, th- I think it's incredibly important. And I myself have been fortunate to have been involved with an organization called ACT-IAC, the American Council for Technology and the Industry Advisory Council. I went through a leadership development program that they have called Voyagers. They have another one called uh, Partners. And in Voyagers and Partners, um, industry leaders and government leaders are um, put together to talk about innovation and to talk about effective collaboration and to talk about advancing the mission of government. And I've watched uh, colleagues and classmates of mine make that jump that you referred to um, either from industry to government or government back to industry I mean I'll point to um, leaders like Jonathan Album who was the CIO of the Department of Agriculture and now is is one of my teammates over at ServiceNow. Jonathan Bennett, uh, who was the enterprise architect at Department of Agriculture and is now um, a chief technology advisor over at Adobe. Um, And in my own shop at Splunk, I I am so fortunate to get to work with Juliana Vida and Tim Frank, both of whom um, Juliana served in the military and Tim uh, was in the office of the secretary of defense. And, you know, both of them have said to me, hey, we might go back into government. And part of our mission here at Splunk is to learn how Splunk does things so we can bring that back into the government. And, and I've seen Jonathan and Jonathan do that with, you know, their government experience, um, bringing that to Adobe and ServiceNow, helping them get better at serving the, the mission of government. So I think that collaboration is incredibly important. And I think it does foster innovation, again, because the government has to do things um, deliberately and in a, in a certain way, as you pointed out, because we're all stewards of taxpayer money and that creates, um, a need for a certain kind of accountability.
0: Jeremy, I really appreciate the time today. Um, as I mentioned, I want to give you some, some time now, uh, to leave the audience with any final, final takeaways you have, whether it's from the report or just in general, um, especially how, uh, Splunk might be able to help organizations become more data-driven leaders.
1: Thanks, Brian. Uh, This has been a real pleasure. I am really thankful to you for having me on and I'm thankful to anybody who uh, took the time to listen to our conversation. Um, What I hope everybody takes away is that data is a strategic asset, which we've always known at Splunk, but I feel this report validates. And uh, as we pointed out over the course of the conversation today, the pandemic was a a real world (laughs) proof of concept, if you will, that cloud and other modernization strategies are now mission critical. And so more than ever before, it, it's essential to innovate and adapt to the needs of citizens and constituents. And the way to do that is by removing the barriers between data and action. Um, and it just so happens, Splunk has a platform that we think does that more effectively than any other platform available. So I would I would welcome the chance to talk to, you know, agency folks out there who heard this and have questions or, uh, you know, Any listener that is interested in how Splunk does what we do, uh, you can follow up with us or follow up with me. And uh, I thank you again, Brian. This has been an incredibly fun conversation.
0: I appreciate the time, too. And I invite anybody listening to definitely go check out the report. Dig into it. Uh, Again, the State of Data Innovation 2021. Um, I'm sure you could find it on on Splunk.com. Jeremy, thank you again for the time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or wherever you access your podcast, And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.